Hello and welcome to The Entrepreneurs on Monocle Radio, the show all about inspiring people, innovative companies and fresh ideas in global business. Today's programme is a celebration of French wine. We'll meet a founder who left behind a career in finance to set off for the vineyards of Provence with the goal of creating his dream rosé. I had my blinders on and I was focused on one and one thing only, to create the most elegant, tasteful rosé in the world. And that's what I did. And we'll head north to Champagne to meet the CEO of a new, all-natural, handcrafted bubbly. It's already a big market, a big challenge to start and to promote on. What I always say is that it's the first thing that we wrote actually on the website is authenticity is the new luxury. This is The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. At the start of 2019, after two highly successful decades working in finance, Barry Byatt decided to leave it all behind and set out on a new path. The adventure that Byatt embarked upon to find the best rosé winemaker in Provence and work together to create a market-redefining pink wine that would embody all the best of the unique terroir of that amazing part of the world. A little over four years into the journey, and rumour rosé is continuing to win over admirers all around the world for its fresh, crisp take on a classic. Well, Byatt's called in at Midori House recently to talk about his inspiration to chase that dream, how he set about creating the rumour brand, and why he, like me, believes that rosé is a wine to enjoy all year round. I began by talking to Barry about my own enthusiasm for rosé and I asked him what he felt was missing in the marketplace when he started to plot the rumour brand. I also loved rosé and I still love rosé. And I, the reason I saw the gap, the gap was that I saw a redundancy, the same old. For the last 10, 15 years, we saw the same brands over and over again. There was nothing relevant, cool that I saw in the market. And I saw that gap for me to get into. And that's what the interesting part was for me, the star rumour. And do you think, because I guess people will know of some high-profile celebrity vineyard things, you know, Kylie's got a rosé and Brangelina. Did that frustrate you in a sense? Did you feel that that was sucking the oxygen out of the rosé conversation and, and putting the emphasis in the wrong place? Or did you think, well, that still adds to the opportunity because maybe there's a new audience that wouldn't come to rosé, certainly Provencal rosés, who are maybe in the mix now because of those people, those gatekeepers. Well, I have my own thoughts about celebrity attachments or celebrity-owned brands. We, we could go into that if you want I'd, later I'd on, like to, I'd like to. <laughs> one thing I've always preached and lived, I think brands are built by entrepreneurs. Brands are built by individuals who give up everything for that. It's very important, I think, for any brand to be started or created to put 100% energy, focus, and everything you got into that brand. And some celebrity brands have been successful, and I think it's a good kickstart. It brings attention to the brand. It's definitely an eye-catcher in a way, if you think about it, because people say, oh, this is this brand, this is this guy's brand or this lady's brand, which helps to kickstart. But at the end of the day, you have to have someone 100% committed to the brand to kind of scale it throughout the world or throughout the community or throughout wherever you're trying to build. And to be honest with you, I didn't even think about that. There were potential celebrities that wanted to get involved, but I decided to 
really hold off on that for the time being to make sure I build a brand that's long-term, not just a short attention in a way to, yeah. to, to a product. So that's why I decided not to. Uh, and that, I mean, it didn't bother me. You know, competition is great. So It makes you stronger. And I guess yeah. it's interesting because there's this premium on authenticity of brand. And right. To that point then, Barry, is rumor... Is it Barry's brand, or is it, or does Barry work for for, for Rumor? If you, if you know, you what know, I, mean. I always said the brand is a lot bigger than me, and that's what I want. I don't want to be the brand, right? That's what I've created right now. And after, you know, the first year when I started, I started in 2019. That was me, 100 percent alone by myself with a backpack full of wine, going around <laughs> trying to build a business. But I think the brand is much bigger than myself or any individual, and I think that's the way it should be. If you look at all the successful brands, not necessarily in the alcohol or wine industry, any brand out there, whoever started is now not in the limelight as much because the brand has taken over. And that's my goal. And quite the goal that is. Let's go back then. So you've identified this opportunity. You want to find this freshness and you've got this conviction that you can do it. Let's talk about that that backpack. Well, listen, how, how do you we, we how do you it. go from that ambition then to actually doing it? Because lots of people have the idea or they have that discussion. Maybe they've had some wine, but not that many people then go and do it. Tell me well, about the well, first steps. Well, we have to take it back because I I was in, in a completely different industry for over twenty years. I was in the finance industry and I worked my way up from really nothing to a big position in a bank. And in late two thousand eighteen. I decided that I had enough, which was unprecedented. Nobody's ever done that in my position, just to completely walk away after building a business for that long. And I decided to walk away not knowing exactly what I was going to do. A couple years before that, a group of friends of mine, close friends of mine, they approached me to, they wanted to do a rosé. They thought, hey, we want to do a rosé. And I couldn't because I was focused on my own business. And they tried it, and I didn't get anywhere with it. They couldn't really launch it or come up with a the brand at all. And in early 2019, January 2019, I revisited our contact in Provence. I flew down there by myself in the middle. January was very, very cold. We la- I landed in the middle of the night. I got lost too. It was kind of funny. But I went over there and I had only that one contact. And I knew that my main thing was to find the best winemaker in the area. And to have a rosé from Provence with the best winemaker, is at the top of the market. You cannot get any bigger than that as far as our quality of rosé goes. So that's what I did. That's how the whole thing came about. I was like a child in a way at the time because children take risks. And they're fearless, right, in any sport, anything they do, because they don't know the, the side effects in a way of getting hurt. And that was me, for example, you know, at, at the beginning. So I didn't realize what I was getting into. <laughs> And I just went into it. I had my blinders on, and I was focused on one and one thing only, to create the most elegant, tasteful rosé in the world. And that's what I did. It's amazing how many of the entrepreneurs that I speak to for this program echo this idea of the power of their naivete about it. And just, it's a mix of fearlessness and bloody-mindedness. But they just say, yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. And it, it seems counterintuitive, but so many say the same. I mean, fast forward, I just found out after three years, you know, I spent a lot of time in Provence. You know, we have a business there. We have an office there. And I just found out that my nickname for the longest time was the crazy American, right? <laughs> because they had no idea what was going on. It was like they'd never seen anything like that before. 
And I spent a lot of time there. It was just not going there once and that's it. I spent an enormous amount of time there to really create perfection. That's what I wanted. I wanted to have the most elegant, like I said, perfect color, perfect taste, wine. So I could have it not only for the professionals or the Psalms, but for everyone to enjoy. Mm. And that was my goal. And that's what I did. And yes, they thought I was crazy. Have you got a new nickname? Still that one. We don't know. It would be rude know. to I ask. I really don't know. I really, I really don't know. Yeah. Uh, talk, talk to me a bit about the magic of Provence because we can talk, and I'm sure our listeners are familiar with the concept of terroir, and we know about the soils, and we can talk right. about the grapes. Right. But there is something unquantifiable, something magical, and with a lot of great wine production actually all around the world, there is something just unique. It's almost in the air. How do you try and describe that to people when you tell them about wow. it? Wow. That's actually an interesting question. Uh, for me, Provence is, it's got a special place in my heart because you know, I've put every energy that I have in that. You know, our village a little bit, it's about 10 miles from the coast, so it has a little bit of an elevation, which kind of helps with the wind and um, the terroir, like you said, and how we raise our grapes. I think there's a village and there's there's a lot of life around there, believe it or not. So it's like a community of people that live there go to school there, live there like on a regular basis. So it's not really a vacation place at all times. It's really a life that people live. And for me, it's been magical because it's brought me to the world of rumor. And it's created an opportunity for me to take that message to the world. That's what I've done, to take the message to the world. Because it's important. Grapes are grown anywhere in the world. Right, and you could build, you could make wine from any place in the world. What makes Provence so special is exactly that. It comes from the terroir, it comes from the elevation, the views, the wind, the different weathers that we deal with. Recently, we had some hail there, kind of hurt the crops a little bit, and we have had extreme weathers as well. But that brings personality to the grapes. I think that's mm-hmm. what makes it special. Well, it's interesting you talked about the people straight away, which I think is is instructive because. The journey of wine is also about people from caring for the vines and all of that heritage. There's often families who've worked for many generations. I know right. that's the case there. Right through to then, I guess, even once you're served the wine, you're enjoying the wine. It is social. It's about people. And that's another thing that's hard to it's hard to talk about, let alone quantify. Uh, and just to that point, how do you balance then? Because you can't price in some of this magic and mystery and some of that serendipity. But you have to be pretty brutal about it to run a successful business. So how, how do you balance up those unquantifiable things? Because you can't whack that feeling that's in the air on a P&L, really, can you? Listen, if you... I didn't start a business on a P&L basis. And I think this is something that I have extreme passion for, extreme love for. And I, I want to create. I want to create a brand. I want to create a business that's mine, that I could say... And we have almost 15 people that work for us now throughout the globe and growing. So that for me is the drive. That for me is the brand, the business. I don't necessarily think about the negatives usually. I'm, I'm more I'm an optimistic guy and a more positive guy because it just takes time. Mm-hmm. You build, you build, it just takes time. It doesn't happen overnight whatsoever. I've realized that. It's not, brands are not built overnight like Rome wasn't. So that's, your question is great. At the same time, it never crosses my mind to put the difference between. I go there, I enjoy it, because at the end of the day, rosé, rumor, is a product for fun. 
we celebrate together. We are at the beach, at the pool, in our house. Kind of you close your eyes, it takes you to the Riviera. It takes you to the beaches of Mykonos in a way. That's what it's all about. That's what I enjoy the most. That sounds very appealing to me uh, right now. Talk to me a little bit then about brand, because obviously you've described very elegantly the brand values, I think the foundations, those cornerstones on which you wanted to build this project. But I guess at some point you have to think about how the product's going to live in the bottle, the labeling, the name, of course, that that aspect of the brand. Did that come to you also quite organically, suitably enough, or did you have to work equally hard to fashion that? Well, I did everything myself. Actually, I built a brand. Picked the bottle, picked the label, designed the whole thing myself. And at the time, I really didn't know what I was doing, but I wanted to have something very simple, elegant. And that's what I created. I think the bottle represents what I was trying to do at the beginning. And it evolved. So, yeah, I think my goal for the brand is to make sure it's world known, that it's synonymous with rosé, synonymous with quality, synonymous with elegance. That's been my goal. And that's why I've been trying, working so hard and traveling so much throughout the different parts of the world to get that message across. And I get the same reaction, thankfully, that everybody sees the bottle and like, wow, it's elegant, it's beautiful, it's simple. And sometimes simple is not easy. It's actually more difficult, I think, to keep things simple if you're in the business of brand building. Let's talk about the hero, the wine itself then. I love these pale blush rosés, straw-like with minerality, uh, long finish, the dryness, but those playful notes, soft fruits. I don't want to... I guess it's easy talking wine with other people that love wine, but what about to the uninitiated? How would you describe scent, mouthfeel, the finish? How do you communicate that to people who maybe just aren't rosé fans? It's crisp. And it's drinkable, really, honestly, when it comes down to it. Because I think wine, especially rosé, needs to have a special acidity level. And acidity at times is very, very good and sometimes it's very bad. depends how you drink it at the end once you open it up. And that's one thing that's elegant about rumor that once you open up the bottle and obviously right temperature, served right, you have that freshness. You have that crispness into the wine that when you drink it, you don't feel the acidity, but acidity is there. You don't taste it down your throat. You could drink it over and over again. That's what I like. And, you know, it's a Grenache base. So most of our grapes are 60% on an annual basis, Grenache, and the Sensol and a little bit of Syrah in there as well. So it's a mix mix of grapes in our wines. And I'm not a Somme. I'm not a professional at all in the industry. When I got into it, I learned a lot. But I usually have our winemaker who is a professional winemaker for the last 20, 30 years, I think. And that's who really works on the wine with me. I think it's important to note that any product out there, if you look at it, that you build or you make, it has to be for the people. It has to be for the masses. People have to enjoy drinking it. That's the most important thing for me. And that's what we've done. And that's what we've created. That's what I pushed for, to make sure the color is pale like it is and it's drinkable every time. And believe it or not, people are drinking rosé throughout the year a lot more than they were before. Well, this is a big change. And I know that if you went back to, say, probably what the 80s, definitely 90s even, it was very frowned upon, especially right. stuffy right. English right. folk. Wouldn't want to be seen right. with a glass of right. something pink in their hand during the winter months. But I think there's so much more variation, there's playfulness, there's all these other options. And you can also pair it, I think, food pairing. I know you're describing this sort of Mykonos Beach Club session drinking rosé, which also sounds good to me, but such a great companion to food all year round. Believe it or not, it's mostly drank with food at large tables, small tables with Greek food, Italian food, sushi. It's a great pairing, chicken. 
It is 100%. Mostly it's drank with a lot of gatherings and foods. If you go into these places, it's a lot of food. I have to ask you, Barry, you you mentioned this earlier and you've mentioned a couple of places. I know its appeal is broad and universal. That's kind of the point. But for you, what, what would be the embodiment? Paint me a picture. Who are you with? Where's that perfect rumor moment? If I can push you to choose just one. Well, if you don't mind, I want to take you back one step because in 2019, when I started it by myself, I had no idea it was going to be what it is today. And my goal was to be at the top locations around the world. And when we create the wine, when we had our first tasting in March of 2019, our first sale was in Mykonos in June of 2019. And people loved it. I really did not know the expectation. I didn't know what was going to happen. At the time, like I told you, I was alone wearing a backpack full of wine, putting ice in it to keep it chilled. So when I go in tastings, people could taste the actual wine the way it's supposed to be tasted. And I just went to the top locations right away. And one of my biggest breakthroughs were when I met the general manager of uh, Hotel Le Cop, Eden Rock, which is probably one of my favorite properties in the world, like it is with a lot of other people. And we were supposed to have a five-minute meeting, and it turned out to be a 45-minute meeting with all the Psalms gathered around my table tasting the rosé. And ever since then, it's been on the menus and uh, being served at one of the top locations around the world. That's how it kind of started. That was one of my big, big breakthroughs in 2019. And that's how I built the brand, going to top locations, not veering off to my own personal plan. And that's how we grew. And the unfortunate and unfortunate part, COVID hit. It was in the middle of my growth, practically. You know, We started in the summer of 2019 in uh, all the islands, Ibiza, Saint-Tropez, south of Italy, and then brought it into the main cities in Europe, Paris, London, Milan, and then brought it into the States in uh, September, around there, I think, in 2019, and then California, and then Miami. And then by the time harvest started, which is end of September, going into 2020, 2020 hit with COVID. Presumably, at that point, you literally couldn't go to the vineyard. You couldn't be with people. I mean, how? That, that's actually a great question. But how did you? How did I, you I fought through. That? I actually traveled more. You know, obviously with the rules and regs that I had to. I got turned away a couple times too at the airport, and I had legal documents of saying I'm going there for work, but it didn't really work. But I got myself into places with my backpack, with my wine, going around. That's what really, I think, one of the most interesting parts of my journey was to fight through these obstacles throughout COVID to make sure they know that I'm serious. This is what I'm doing. This is what I love. And I'm not taking this. I'm not staying back. I fought through. I fought through the borders. I fought through the quarantines. I had to quarantine, go places and wait for a couple of weeks and fight through to get to the accounts. So uh, that's what I did throughout. It's like crazy American again with his backpack Cra- yeah, full that's of what, ice I and think wine. That's, yeah, that's what happened, right. Um, just finally, talk to me a little bit about expansion then, because as you said, you didn't know what that was going to look like. You are enjoying great well, successes. Uh, I mean, how has that been organic? It's just people who've bought into the vision? Right. Yeah, it has been because I build a team. Throughout COVID, actually, I started hiring some good people. And uh, we expanded in the, in the Americas. Now we're in over 23 states, 24 states. When I say states, it's like each state is a country. Laws in America is a little bit different than Europe. And now we're in total about 10 countries, major countries, major, major cities and uh, destinations. And my overall vision right now is I'm in charge of growth. We got a little bit delayed with Turkey and uh, Morocco, actually two places that I enjoy. 
great countries. We had a little issue with the distribution and logistics, taking the wine there. So we're delayed a little bit. That's going to happen probably by the end of the year or beginning of next year. One place that I admire a lot is Japan. We're planning to go there. It's not a big market for a rosé yet, but I think we're going to be one of the front fronters. Keyword, keyword. And then Dubai. Dubai is on probably one of the most attractive places right now for especially European visitors to go there. And a lot of brands that we work with globally, high-end brands, are opening places in Dubai. So we're going to be there shortly as well. That was Barry Byatt. You can learn more about the wine by heading to rumorose.com. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. Fiona Perrin is the CEO and co-founder of Champagne Rendezvous, a natural brand of bubbly that goes above and beyond the organic label by committing to the craft of winemaking with minimal intervention and manipulation. Originally from the gastronomic capital of France, Lyon, Fiona's journey into the world of wine began during a birthday dinner at a restaurant where she fell in love with the experience of food and wine pairing. Having found her calling, she spent a decade working in the wine world before eventually focusing on champagne and taking the plunge and starting her own brand. Our Laura Kramer selflessly picked up the assignment to head to the unofficial capital of champagne country, Reims, to enjoy a glass or ten with Fiona, to hear about the brand's commitment to prioritising small producers and to learn how Rendezvous stands out in the crowded champagne marketplace. I like to say that we are champagne entrepreneurs because it's literally what we did. We're a champagne startup. We are in our third year, so we're still building the brand in a world that is full of competition and of big brands. So it was crazy because first, the idea is kind of crazy being outsiders of champagne. It's a pretty close world. So when we merged in that world, people was like, you're crazy. What are you doing? So it was really getting our hands there, building the brand step by step, bottle per bottle. And so we launched, basically, we had the idea in 2019. So of course, that was right before COVID. And in the middle of the project, of course, COVID hit. So we had really few challenges. Our targets It was basically a new kind of approach to champagne, much more modern, a youthful approach to champagne, much more colorful. So we had the idea to target mostly women, really between, I would say, 25, 30 to like 45. At first point, we were like, maybe it's really millennial. We want to give, you know, a new opportunity to young people to see what is champagne, that it's not just a kind of sommelier beverage that is more accessible, even though it's still luxury, of course. But we wanted to have this more open-minded and cooler approach to champagne. So that was the target. We started everything online. We were, I think, the first champagne brand to be fully exclusively digital in the US. So we started into the US market selling only through our online websites. And we were from Montreal, basically building the brand through, at the same time of COVID, everything through Instagram, through mailing. And it was just crazy how the community built up mostly women, you know, that was expecting and waiting for the brand to come out. And even though we were totally new and not known, you know, so that was really crazy. 
So for those who don't know, tell us a little bit about the unique characteristics and the flavor profile of the Rendezvous Champagne. So Rendezvous Champagne was born three years ago. It's born out of a partnership with one of our top partner, top natural wine grower in the Montagne de Reims, who works exclusively in Premier Cru vineyards. So we work really exclusively with our grower partner. That is really a family vineyard, sixth generation working the land. And he's also, as me, basically, he's really part of this young generation breaking the code and he just don't want to do you know just champagne to to sell bottles it was really about having another project together we crafted three exclusive cuvées a brute an extra brute and a rosé here we wanted to have an approachable kind of champagne but at the same time we have something that is so accomplished very complex even though we are non-vintage we are talking about champagne that rests for four to five years on the lease so at first you really have this bursting fruits with really juicy aromas and the older range is in between this contrast of nice aromatics flavors and also this yeasty woody and toastiness on the palate so we really have this thread through all the three cuvées that i would say maybe is the signature of the brand what do you think you do in order to stand out in that luxury space obviously it's a very busy market. Well, really, at first I chose really the U.S. market because I had spent 10 years working the U.S. market, going from state to state. So I really had a deep overview of the U.S. market. So we started there. Now we are expanding a little bit more on the international market. We start to have demand in Europe, a little bit in Asia. So, But I'm glad it went step by step because I think it's already a big market, a big challenge to start and to promote on. What I always say is that it's the first thing that we wrote actually on the website is authenticity is the new luxury. It's very, very difficult today to say what is a luxury brand, what is a good champagne brand, what is a high-end champagne brand, because it's very tricky when you don't know the champagne market, but it's owned by big houses, big houses that are owned by big groups that merge with big other groups, and of course, luxury groups. So what is luxury today? Is it those brands that are high-priced and owned by luxury groups? Or is it the new world, the younger generation taking over of those independent grower that are working their land totally organically, naturally, that do small production, artisanal production? And that's what we wanted to offer. So. We are redefining, if I would say, luxury, because for us today, is luxury is you want something that is the most purest expression of what you expect from champagne, that has less manipulation possible, the less makeup possible. So it's like, you know, all those cosmetic brands that are basically merging. You know, we see this in other type of industry, young entrepreneurs that are kind of redefining what is luxury. So we cannot compete with luxury groups and it's not what we want to do, but we want to give another approach of what champagne can be. And I think people see themselves in what we are trying to do and maybe they are redefining what is luxury champagne brand with us. That was Fiona Perrin, the co-founder and CEO of Champagne Rendezvous. You can learn more by heading to SIP champagnerendezvous.com And that's it for this episode of The Entrepreneurs. We'll be back at the same time next week. Do listen out for Eureka, available every Friday. 
The Entrepreneurs was produced by Laura Kramer with mixing and editing by Tamsin Howard. You can listen again and find out more about the show at monocle.com. That's where you can also subscribe to Monocle magazine to read more about better businesses every month. You can also follow us and catch up with the archive via your preferred podcast platform. If you want to get in touch with the team, write to Laura. She's on lrk at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye, and thanks for listening to The Entrepreneurs.